0: what is the most used man-made material on earth you guessed right it's concrete look around it's everywhere sidewalks driveways foundations floor you stand on and even entire buildings are made out of concrete so why don't we discuss it more In each episode of Concrete Logic, we'll explore one concrete-related topic with the help from industry professionals that are shaping the future of the trade. We'll talk with suppliers, contractors, architects, engineers, specialists, and even some proponents of competing materials about their views of concrete and their vision of its future. Welcome to another episode of the Concrete Logic Podcast. Today, I have Mark Grace with uh, Concrete Support Systems. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company?
1: Sure, Seth. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me. I appreciate appreciate the reach out. Um, So, uh, Concrete Support Systems is a nationwide uh, supplier of concrete shoring. Uh, We supply that equipment to concrete uh, contractors, subcontractors, general contractors, uh, a couple of distributors uh, across the United States with locations in the Northeast, South Central, Southwest U.S. Um, We uh, have been around in this uh, capacity for the past 11 years. I've been in this business since uh, 1996, which I think would put it at about 26 years. Uh, this is all I've ever done. Um, it's all I ever want to do. Uh, I I'm charged up every morning I wake up that I get to do this. Right. Uh, and, and why is that because it's an opportunity to leave a lasting impression of structures as you go around the, the country that you were in, involved intimately with, uh, helping, uh, to build those. Right. And, and that's a good, good feeling. So
0: that's it. Yeah. I think uh, you ask a lot of concrete folks in the industry and that's why they they like they like d- uh, dealing with concrete because it it lasts for a long time. you could drive by things that you built 20 25 years ago it's still still standing there um, so yeah I, I get I totally get the legacy thing. Um, so mark today uh, we're gonna talk about concrete uh, forming systems. And, uh, I guess I asked you before we got started, if we could start with the basics, if we could, uh, if we could uh, try to explain, um, or describe what concrete formwork is, what, how would you explain it, Mark? Yeah. So here's how I would
1: explain it. Um, you know, concrete, when it comes out of a truck is in, in kind of a, a, a placid state, it's mushy, it's, it's malleable. Right. Um, and, It needs to be held in place uh, temporarily until it grips around what is reinforcing that runs through concrete, right? And uh, formwork would be that mold, if you will, that encompasses uh, the concrete while it's placid. Uh, Shoring would be the temporary support that supports that formwork, right? that uh, holds concrete up in an elevated position or an inclined position uh, until it is cured enough, which is the chemical process of cooking off and, and hardening to this reinforcing. And and so it's temporary because it does get removed after it's uh, gained sufficient strength
0: to support itself. Yeah, so, and then... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Is that basic enough? Do you think? Yeah, I I, th- I think so. Yeah, and so uh, at, at once once uh concrete is cured and it can self support itself, then you remove this this formwork, and that's what what you see uh, as the finished product. Uh, so uh, if 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 one wants to drive by like a job site, uh, you might see uh, what looks like to be scaffolding or some kind of metal structure underneath the, uh, uh, a floor, uh, or, um, yeah. Um, that sort of thing. And I, I would, I'd suppose some people would, um, may, uh, confuse, uh, scaffolding, uh, with, uh, uh or, uh, concrete formwork with scaffolding on some job sites. Um, uh, cause some of the forming systems do kind of look like scaffolding that, Normal, I guess I say normal people. People outside the concrete industry yeah, uh, probably so know what that looks like. Yeah, ninety <laughs>
1: percent of civilians nope. uh, say, "Oh yeah, you're in the scaffolding business." Yeah, sure, right? Sure, sure. We're going to enter into a three-hour you know discussion so you can understand what I do for a living.
0: I probably, <laughs> right? Um. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, I, w- I asked you if we could go through some of the, uh, the formwork systems. Um, if we could start with, uh, um, you know, what we, t- you typically, uh, see come out there's, there's some really cool stuff that we could probably get into. I, I, I like the, uh, I'm like to, uh, I think like the climbing systems and things like that for cores, elevator shafts and stairs. That's pretty cool stuff. Um, but, uh, if you, if you could kind of walk us through, um, some basic, some basic systems that we use, um, typically, and then, uh, I'll ask some dumb questions as we go along. Sure. So I think if you break that down into kind
1: of two classes, which would be, you know, vertical wall formwork and horizontal formwork, right. Um, and both of them kind of group into similar groups, if you will. So, you have for, for vertical wall, you have handset panels, right. And those handset panels could be wedge bolted together or clamped together or actually bolted together. Right. And, and they're meant to be ma- uh, manhandled, moved by a, a single man from location to location. Then you have what, what people would refer to generally as gang formwork or crane shifted formwork, um, uh, that that's designed to be put together in multiple large elements, either you know, bolted or or clamped uh, together uh, in large segments and moved vis-a-vis a crane or an all-terrain vehicle, depending on the weight of the equipment. Um, and then you would have, like for, for vertical wall formwork, the next step would be jumping into, uh, uh, call it jump form, right? Uh, a formwork system is designed to build a concrete core in a, in a, building, which acts as a backbone of a building. Um, those systems, uh, start at a cranes, a crane shifted system, which sit on supports and then the wall form, which sits on top of it. And some of it has a platform that you can tilt the form back to access the wall, or you can roll the form back to access the wall. And those are shifted from location to location as you move up through the building. And then you get into uh, climbing systems and, and independent of the crane, right? And a hydraulic climbing system would have a series of, of hydraulic cylinders that uh, support themselves off of a shoe that's bolted to a wall. And they push up against a steel gantry system of various configurations. And that gantry system carries the wall formwork as it's hung from the steel elements which make up that gantry uh, which allows you to shift your entire system independent of the crane right um beyond that you get into really you know special niche uh systems for uh pier caps for bridges that that are self-spanning uh steel form if you will um uh, or tunnel form that uh, is used in underground construction that would be highly customized element uh, and in and, and its own right, super complicated, right? Um, I think for formwork, that kind of sums it up on the vertical aspect, on the horizontal aspect, you would have very much this similar groups, right? Which is handset shoring, whether it's a, a, a frame brace, right, a steel frame with a, a cross brace, and a stringer and a joist, uh, or a grid system, which would consist of a post-shore, a main girder, and a secondary girder uh, that you put plywood on top of. Um, Moving into uh, maybe a a truss application where we're flying large table elements from floor to floor to floor as opposed to setting up individual components. onto column hung, where if the building design is of a certain nature, you can mount brackets on the column and and fly column hung systems floor to floor. Uh, In a lot of instances, you have these high bay areas in in buildings or in uh, water wastewater treatment plants or in, in heavy highway work, where you have to have a very high reach for your shoring system and a high load. And so I I refer to that always as a high load, high reach system in in a general uh, term. Um, And then special applications like, for instance, egress to enter and exit a building um, while uh, construction of concrete is going on above, right? Where you don't have to put temporary supports in, it's self-spanning. There's a lot of different
2: uh,
1: ways to to build a, a horizontal concrete deck Um, and I think there's a lot of different suppliers that can do it right. Uh, but I think those, those two buckets of vertical and, and, and horizontal can be broken into sub buckets, if you will, that they were just described.
0: Right. So when you are asked to, uh, look at a project and decide what forming systems are, are, uh are good for that particular project. Um, Could you walk us through what you look at and and do you uh, consider who the the client is as well? Yeah, so I think, you
1: know, we have a nationwide reach, right? And so I think the first thing that you do, you have, you know, in terms of a shoring system, uh, you have to go and, and get into the mentality of the geography. What are the rules and regulations in Manhattan versus Philadelphia versus South Florida versus central Texas versus the West coast, right? So if I go to Manhattan, I know it's all got to be hand shifted. I've got to, I've got to cycle the product by hand. I cannot use a crane to fly out over the street with a large table and fly it back up to the next level. So I first look at, you know, where are we in the country? What are the, ge- the geographical or regional preferences and rules slash regulations? Right. So that's step one. And then step two, um, I would look at, you know, how, how large is the structure? What are, what are we really trying to accomplish? Right. Um, is, is, is a structure, uh, you know, a 40 story building, um, or is it a three story with a podium? Um, it, it, will change potentially the way I look at the structure, right? Uh, so once I get through the regional step, it's going to be the size of, of, the footprint of the building and the height of the building. And then I'm going to look at who's, who's the contractor, right? Is it a concrete subcontractor who does, uh, shoring, placing and finishing? Or is it a concrete formwork contractor who does erection and dismantle, right? Because those guys are going to look at that job completely different, right? So uh, an erection and dismantle guy on, say, a a million square foot building, and let's just say it's four levels, he's likely going to take 120, 140,000 square foot of equipment. Whereas the concrete contractor might only take 60 to 80,000 square feet, right? And and it's just by the nature of of how they do business and how they get paid, right? And what they can control and what they cannot control. Right. And so you have to, you know, those are kind of like that. You're really now getting into the nitty gritty of it. Right. Um, And, and then what do they want to accomplish? And what, what's that superintendent or that, that work crew comfortable with? Right. do they want a perimeter table uh that they can shift up to have kind of a physical barrier before they start studying the interior elements do they per- prefer to fly tables right do they do they see value in in erecting large tables that are you know 28 foot by 60 foot long and flying floor to floor um it really you know you have to get really intimate with those folks right um in the field Right. And then, uh, understand what their wants, needs, and desires are. They might not be the guy writing the check. They may not be the guy, uh, making the ultimate decision. Right. But you definitely don't want to force a square peg into a round hole there. Right. Cause that guy is going to make money for you or not. Right. And he's going to, it's going to be a repeat customer or not based on, uh, your ability to understand what that guy wants down the food chain.
0: Right. So, yeah. No. I, the the geographical uh, uh, point. Uh, yeah. I overlooked that. That is that is uh, pretty crucial on uh, the, the regulations. I didn't know that about New York. Um, the uh, and probably I don't know any uh, about the New York regulations because I have no desire to build up there. Those are, I see pictures of what those guys are doing up there. It's that's crazy. Um, and uh also knowing what i guess too uh th- what what talent is in that area right so you're 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 considering that as well um you mentioned that um so that makes total sense is there other like uh other than the the uh the project documents the architectural the structural drawings is there other documents that you like to have your hands on when you're looking at a job yeah yeah.
1: Um, hmm. So right. Look here. Here's what we, we look at. I, I want to see the, 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 structural drawings. Mm-hmm. I want to see the architectural drawings. I want to see your schedule. Right. I want to know, I want to understand your schedule like intimately. Um, and I want to see capacity, of crane, crane radius, um, for starters baseline. That's what, what I need to be able to understand the job and develop what I would consider how, how, how it would potentially be built. I'm not saying should, right? Because that's not my choice, right? That's up to the smart guys in the field. But, uh, ultimately those are the kind of the four things we
0: would want to see on the front side. Yeah. I was just trying to think of your ideal project. you, um, Cause sometimes, you know, we were in such a hurry that you are just like, all right, Mark, here's here's the next job, uh, hurry up, get us a quote, get us an estimate on this and there's no communication or anything. <laughs> we just want the quote and then we get the quote then we scramble back to you and say, what are you doing? Yeah, Are you, <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> um, yeah. So I was just trying to think. So we, uh, I know we, uh, uh, you know, ideally you, you probably want to see like core breaks and things like that, that the contractor's sharing with you and, and, uh, um, that, that'll dictate, I'm sure some, some folks say, Hey, this is the square footage I want. And others don't know, know how much square footage of formwork they, they want or need. And you got to figure that out for them based on the, uh, their poor sequence and things like that. So, um, uh, uh as far as, uh, and as, so let's just kind of walk through a, a, a job. Um, so we, we decide how much formwork we we need and ha- are gonna order, and the job starts and formwork starts showing up. What are uh, what are some best practices to uh, I guess avoid the uh, um, issues that you see that happen? on a job site, like for instance, missing, a uh, I don't know, missing equipment, missing parts, things of that nature as, as the job is going along, what's, what's some best practices that we can do, um, to avoid things like that? Yeah. So if I had advice, uh,
1: and someone would
0: listen, right.
1: Um, but here's what I would say. Uh, one long before we're at the job, your superintendent and foreman should be intimate with the drawings, the erection drawings that we're gonna supply to show how equipment gets installed, right? At that point, they can make decisions, um, nuanced decisions of I'd rather have this than that, right? Or, you know, um, no, that's not right. There's a beam over here, it changed last week, Um, right? So revisions that, that happen from the time you contract and start doing drawings from a, 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 erection perspective to actually shipping equipment. We, we, those guys need to be intimately familiar with it. Right. And, and so best practice would be one, they're engaged to your, your shoring and former suppliers asking you to sign off on this stuff. Right. So that there's a record of it. Right. Cause I can remember a million times when people were like, well, I didn't I didn't say that, right. well no that actually happened and by the way that goes both ways right it's not it's not painting the contractor into a corner it's it's putting us both on an even playing field right um so that that would be that would be one two get all of those drawings done before you start don't don't start and and you're doing a 50-story building and you don't know what's going to happen on level 46 or the amenity deck or the ring beam up on top, you better darn well know what's gonna happen so that you can optimize what, you know, truckloads in and truckloads out, right? And so get all of that done ahead of time. Then when you ship equipment, make sure that they're releasing the areas that they that they want and they're sending mixed trucks. So don't just send four truckloads of post shores. Great job, guys. We got four trucks. What are we going to do with this, right? We can't put anything together, right? So, you know, Hertz doesn't deliver a car without the tires, right, or or, or gas in the tank, right? So you got to kind of make sure that you do it do it that way. Um, and then I would say as you receive equipment, the number one thing a contractor can do is count that equipment. I know it sucks, right? I know no one wants to do that, right? But on the best jobs in terms of, close out, that guy counted the equipment, right? We're gonna count it, it's gonna be photographed, it's gonna be documented, it's gonna be put in a virtual folder. You better count it because we're not always right, okay? I'll say that again, the the supplier isn't always right, okay? Um, but we have a lot better conditions than you do on your job, right? And so, you know, It's a lot easier, easier for us to hit that target more often than it would be for you. So count it as it comes in, as you work the job, right. Make sure that you're, you're asking the guys to actively pick up the workspace, right? I can't say enough about broom, broom sweeping positions as you move through a building or a structure right? Whether it's a wastewater treatment plant or whether it's a bridge or whether it's a high rise, clean up your workspace, right? It's going to make it more safe. It's going to make it easier to do your job uh, and easier to inventory everything that you have, whether it's power tools or concrete shoring, right? Okay. Then at the end of the job, maximize your truckloads as you ship out to reduce your your freight costs, right? And make sure you count everything. The same list you did on the way in, build yourself a spreadsheet or ask your supplier, send me a spreadsheet that shows everything I got on the dates I got it. And then as you load trucks out, by date, by bill of lading, list everything you're shipping, right? I I, I can tell you that in my experience, 25% of people do that. The other 75% leave it up to the supplier, right? And, and by the way, right? Um, it's going to come into the yard and it's going to be quarantined and, and it's going to be tagged and it's going to be counted and photographed. Right. But people have bad days. Right. And people do make mistakes. There's a human element to all of this. Right. So I would encourage that contractor uh, to count everything on the way out. Right. And, and that's going to limit your exposure. And it's actually going to give you kind of that leg to really push off of, Never mind, stand on, but you're going to be able to push off of that leg and say, nope, it happened right here. You guys missed this truck. Right. So, uh, those would be my limited pearls of wisdom as it relates to controlling, uh, financial risk related to, uh, inventory on a job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No one likes counting that stuff when it comes in or goes out. Uh, but I, I know you all as, a the former, um, Companies try to make it easier on on us uh, concrete contractors as far as showing us diagrams of how to stack things on the uh, I don't, what do you call the like the the pallets um, yeah, shipping the pallet basket. Shipping. I mean, every company's going to have a different name for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, to show us how to stack it so it's stacked the same way as it came in, and it's a little bit easier to count. And then it actually fills it up to a point where you know how many of the particular part is on that pallet. Um, and then uh, and then providing those baskets to put the small parts in. Have you seen uh, anyone on like a job site that was very meticulous? I guess that would be the best word to describe it. Have uh, just pulling from my, I shared with you, I, I, I worked in the warehouse way back when but uh, uh, like having a pallet scale for the small parts and just weighing it to confirm uh, what was either received or what is shipped out is weighed for the small parts versus, versus counting each individual part. Because I I, I've just, you know, walking job sites in the past, uh, you know, you see that poor guy that's, it, he's in charge of all the small parts that he's picking up off the ground throughout the job site, and he's counting. He's just throwing them in the basket one at a time. Uh, have, you, have you seen that? And do, is that something you all use? In a warehouse, yes. We'll,
1: we'll use a scale to, to, to weigh out the small parts, right? But then we put them into buckets, okay? And so they go into five-gallon buckets. And so you take a widget A, okay? let's call it widget A. I don't know what it weighs, but in the bucket, only a hundred of widget A will fit. Done. Fill the bucket up. I don't care how you put them in there. It's going to be off by one or two. That doesn't matter if you're on the job. We got a hundred. Done. Half of a bucket of widget B is a a full bucket, right? Boom. That's how, you know, that's how we set it up. And then you can only get so many buckets into into a basket, Right. And so, and the baskets are all the same size, right? As are the shipping pallets, right? So, and each basket has a a total weight on it that it can carry, right? So you can't fill up more than the bucket space will allow. Same thing with with the shipping bins, if you will, Mm -hmm. the open pallets made out of steel. So many can go in, if you put this many into a rack, this is what it weighs so that you can develop a bill of lading. I know that y- your thing is more of, hey, if I put one on the scale and then I throw X on, it'll get to this weight. I don't even have to count, right? That's not gonna, I've never seen that in the field, right? Because remember, right, we have a 25% hit ratio on people counting stuff out, right? So imagine, right? But I, I'll, I'll share this with you. We, we years ago, we did a, a job in, uh, in the Bronx, called Croton Water Treatment Plant, it was a joint venture between two contractors, and they had a guy. Uh, I can't remember his real name, but his nickname was Meatball. Okay, <laughs> and Meatball's job literally was to count everything that came into the job and came out. Uh, our contract on the rental side was like five and a half million dollars. Wow, there were five or six con- uh, suppliers that had the same kind of contract. Okay. Uh, which which means it was like a $40 million, uh, you know, 30 to $40 million formwork insuring package rental, which is. Sub- yeah, right? substantial. yeah, substantial. Ideal job. Give me another one of those. That'd be great. Right.
0: Um,
1: and and at the end of that job, you know, it was a $5.5 million uh, revenue stream for us. This is a $50,000 shortage.
2: Mm.
1: Shortage damage bill, 50 grand. Right, and so think about that. Right, and in terms of a percentage, right, it's it's nothing. Right, and so typically, uh, if you're below three percent, you're doing a really good job. Right, um, some people average somewhere between ten and twelve percent. Some companies, right. Um, so if it was ten percent, it would be five hundred fifty grand. Right. Well. Meatball wasn't getting paid $550,000. I can assure you that, right? So that guy paid for himself alone with with our contract, right? And and he had that spreadsheet, which was everything in, everything out, photograph, full-time job, all you do is count stuff. Terrible job, right? Like I would have quit in the probably the first day, but it, it was worth every penny
0: to get that guy to do it. Yeah, he paid for his salary and then some. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so was Meatball's job just on counting on the way out or did he manage the inventory of the entire project?
1: Yeah, he owned it. He owned it right in and out. Oh, okay. And, and I don't know if it was just specific to formwork and ensuring. I doubt it. I'm pretty sure that anything that came into the job and anything that came out, he counted.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Having a uh it's almost like having an on-site warehouse manager like an inventory man- manager that's responsible for knowing where everything is on the job site cuz I, I i can imagine how much well, how much time we waste looking for things or uh everybody's walking around and and looking for something particular and and can't find it and they a lot of hours wasted doing something like that so that having an inventory uh um, manager for the entire, uh, length of the project. That sounds like a fantastic idea. And one that someone, one, somebody should steal. Yeah. You'd be surprised how many times we get a phone call and and, and people say,
1: Hey, we're, we're out of this, we're out of widget a or widget B or widget C. And we're like, "Mm, um, I think you got them. And you go to the job and you walk and it's on floor five, but they're on floor 18. And so right, they're taking that elevator all the way up to 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 maybe fifteen and and climbing the ladder to get to the active deck, right? So they don't know it's on floor five, right? And so we'll go to the job before we ship because we don't want to one cost the customer freight, two, deliver more equipment than's needed, right? And then three, are you about it after the fact because typically the guy that's saying he doesn't have it isn't authorized to order it, right? And so we'll go to the job and walk and be like, all right, between floors, two, three, four, six, and seven, you get about two truckloads of equipment and there's 400, which let's go get them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Right. Right. Part of the service of, of, of a supplier should be that right. Some will just ship it.
0: And we're like, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to go look. Yeah. So we talked about uh, what we do before a job, during the job and after a job, as far as uh, handling formwork in an ideal situation. Um, uh, but as far as, uh, I guess, the future of concrete formwork, is there anything that's out there or folks are discussing or maybe it's already uh, you know available to us and we don't realize it um, as far as advancements in concrete formwork? You know, I'll, I think to answer that question,
1: I'd, I'd say two two different things, um, and I'll speak to the, the the first one first, which is safety, right? Um, you know, this well, what we all do is very dangerous, right? It's dangerous work; people get hurt when it goes bad. It goes terribly bad, right? Um, and so, w- over the past kind of eight years, we've seen an influx of um, screens, safety screens that cover three and a half floors of a building that have a, a, you know, a diaper on the bottom to catch anything that's falling, um, that insulates the building from a mental perspective for the worker, right? So that they can't fall off the, the leading edge of a structure. And that's, that's a big deal. It, it started in New York and it started in on the West coast and it's being driven by actually the developers insurance companies, right? Which is a great thing. Um, and it's making this way across, across the country. We, we saw the first one, uh, it, it, one of the first ones, maybe they've, they've done this maybe two or three times in the state of Texas. Um, but we're on a structure right now. This, when it tops out, it will be 948 feet tall in Austin wow. That's the tallest building in Austin. Um, and they opted to put a screen on the outside of the building. Right. Uh, and so that that's going to happen a lot more and a lot more. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, check the box. Um, uh, that's a good thing for everybody, uh, in terms of other. Advancements, um, I, I would call them like nuance improvements, right? So typically for years in the handset storing market, there was a six by six grid system that everyone used. Right. Um, and it was kind of like Kleenex. Okay. You know, maybe, uh, uh, eight different suppliers had it and everybody would call it Kleenex, right? I'm not going to you know, use the name, but just let's just say it was Kleenex six by six grid system, everyone has moved towards, uh, an eight by eight grid. Um, and what's happened in the design community, uh, is we've seen a lot of podium decks, right? So a couple of stories, and then a really thick slab to support a wood structure above, right? And those podium decks typically range between 18 and 24 inches, right? And this, this, uh, system that that's a um, eight by eight right or six by six would require a, a center support between supports in order to carry that load so if you have a main beam that the supports are spaced at six foot on center you'd have to come back and put an additional post in the in the center of the main beam and then below when your reshore decks add a post as well to carry that load down and what, what we saw in The beginning of of 2021 um, uh, was a system uh, called SuperGrid that came out and it had uh, 8x8 spacing. And uh, that 8x8 spacing would take up to a 10-inch deck uh, with a standard steel prop. But if you inserted a higher strength prop, you could get up to an 18-inch deck. So uh, 18-inch deck with an 8x8 system, which covered the bulk of podium decks, then the the, the same system as super grid 88, eight by eight spacing, super grid uh, 86, eight by six spacing, uh, six by eight, um, six foot main beam, eight foot secondary beam with an aluminum prop allowed you to go up to 24 inches, right? And so, uh, you know, that that's, that's us, right? Um, in terms of what has anybody else done, I'm sure they are out there stuff. Um, I'm kind of a I'm a run the ball guy versus a a, a a tackle block guy, so I haven't really spent a lot of time figuring that out. But uh, I think the the biggest takeaway would be that safety aspect of, of the screens around buildings, right? Which um, you know, it's just nothing that we do. We're, we're not in that business, but. Um, I can tell you as someone who's scared of heights, when you get off that elevator and, and you're standing 900 feet above the, the, the floor of the street, it feels pretty darn good to have a, a screen in front of you that you know you're not going to fall off.
0: Yeah. And, do, and it takes the place of uh, the required fall protection for at the leading edge as well. Is that – do you know that? Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting. It, it, takes, place, it takes the place of, of that fall protection – at the leading edge, if you're on a deck that's been cast, mm-hmm. okay, but even if the screen is above the the working deck where you're installing plywood, for example, you're still going to have an overhead line with, with a safety and a, and a tie-off because you can fall whatever the distance is above above the, uh, the actual concrete deck, right? So if it's 8 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 14 foot, those guys are still going to be harnessed up and have an arrest system on their back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. I've seen those in action. Um, But yeah, uh, I think anything that, uh, well, for the the follow trades down below, um, you know, after the concrete's uh, been put in place, that's probably more productive for them since they don't have to worry about wearing fall protection on the leading edge. And then, like you said, it makes people feel good. Uh, it <laughs> it's like the, the building skin is there. But uh, um, it, I think uh, this is a good good spot to uh, end the conversation today, Mark. Uh, if uh, folks want to reach out to you and learn more about you and uh, concrete support systems, what's the best way? Yeah, so um, there's
1: a couple of different ways. They can go on, on our website, supportusa.com. Uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, Mark Grace Concrete Support Systems. They'll be able to follow me on LinkedIn and see all the posts, in, in, which basically highlights uh, first and foremost our most prized uh, uh, element, which is our people. Right? We we talk a lot about our people on that on that platform, and then we we showcase a lot of jobs. Um, I'd say those are the best, best ways to, to reach out, right, without, uh,
0: you know, dropping a cell phone number. <laughs> then uh, you might get some weird phone calls. Uh, yeah, but never know. No, no, I appreciate you coming on uh, the podcast today, Mark. Uh, it was uh, great uh, you spending time and, and walking us through uh, formwork Systems, and hopefully some folks pull uh, a thing or two from it. And uh, be sure to reach out to Mark got more questions, I'll I'll, uh, post his contact information on the uh, show notes as always. Uh, Mark, thanks again. And uh, we'll catch you all on the next episode of Concrete Logic. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for another Concrete Logic podcast episode. If you got some value out of this or you enjoyed it, please share it with others. And if you could take a moment and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast listing app, I would appreciate it. We will uh, catch you on the next episode. And now Mike Dutton going to take us out.
2: Put some diesel in the lights and wait till the trucks roll up. And yeah, this ain't how most folks live their lives. Dripping in sweat, working overtime. But while they're tying their ties for their nine to fives, we're out here changing. do